Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship team today. Hey, great job all day long. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, actually the same book we were in last week and a different subject this week. I was, uh, I'm in my sermon series on revival and I'm taking an interlude today. I'll have another sermon or two left before it's over. But today, since it's Valentine's Day, I wanted to preach, uh, say a word about marriage out of Ephesians 4. And I want to preach on this subject, fight for your marriage, fight for your marriage. Valentine's Day's, you know, marriage gets on our minds, our, our loved ones get on our minds just kind of naturally, but we're in a state, and I'll talk about it in a moment, where uh, during the pandemic, even marriages have gotten worse. And I, I want you to know as a pastor, w- when I hear about a, a marriage that's breaking up or marriage is in trouble, our, my heart grieves, our staff's heart grieve over that. My wife, we grieve over that, knowing that it can be better. And so today, what I want to do is help you make your marriage better. And we're we'll looking there in Ephesians chapter 4 in just a moment. Before that, let me, today's Valentine's Day. It wouldn't be right for me not to tell you some interesting things about Valentine's Day. For example, let me tell, oh, how did that get in there? Well, that's weird. How did it picture the cutest grandson ever, baby grandson ever wind up? I mean, I've had, I got three lookers, y'all. I got three lookers. And so, that's little baby Lucas, uh, born this week to my oldest daughter, Savannah, and uh, everybody's doing healthy. Thanks for your prayers, and my grandkids are better looking than your grandkids. All right, here we go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, now, what do we talk about Valentine's Day? Did you know, of course, we don't have 2021 numbers yet. Did you know in 2020, $27.4 billion is what we spent on Valentine's Day, almost $200 per person who participated, which makes it the second highest priciest holiday in the U.S. behind only what holiday? Christmas. Valentine's Day is basically Christmas in February. It's an expensive holiday for those who participate, more so for the men. The men spend on average about $300 and the women spend about $100 on average for Valentine's Day. And what do we spend it on? 10.5 10.5 billion uh, Americans will spend on jewelry, flowers, or candy. So guys, if you don't have anything yet, I know you do, but if you don't have anything yet, jewelry, flowers, or candy are what top the list. Great time to be a, uh, a jeweler or florist or in the candy business, right? right? Get this, 43 million Americans got an unwanted gift in 2019. Americans spent $9.5 billion and gave gifts to people that people did not want in 2019. Let me ask you a question. How many of you last year got a Valentine's gift you didn't like or won't? Let me raise your hand. That is actually an intelligence test. I didn't see anybody raise their hand, but if you start to raise your hand, no, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. It's also a big day for a lot of people. In America, there are 9 million marriage proposals on average made on Valentine's Day. I've already had somebody tell me today they uh, proposed on Valentine's Day. Anybody else get engaged on Valentine's Day in the room? A few hands. Yeah, yeah. All right. Nice. 9 million. Now, here's the graphic I really want to get to. How much do we spend per person, like on each person? Here's what we found out. Dig a little research. 
And who is spent on the most for Valentine's Day? The wife on average is number one, ladies. Even when you get a ring on your finger, you're number one. Guys, don't forget about you. $106. As a matter of fact, you, you get $21 more spent on you than when you were the girlfriend of the wife. And so wives, number one, girlfriends, number two, kids, number three at 76. And now I got issues. Other family members are number four. Who's other family members? Oh, you're talking about third cousins once removed? Who are other family members? Who, I mean, I really, I want to know who you buying for that falls under the category of other family members that ranks above, by the way, the husband at number five. <laughs> we are spending more on other family members that we can't even name than we are our own husband We're, who's barely above the pet cat that came in last on the list. This is the whole sermon right here. I don't care about anything else. Here's what I need. I need you ladies to step it up for your man, all right? Let's get this thing going up a little higher than other family members. Good Lord. And underneath this is secret. I don't even know what that means. I'll be honest, it sounds dishonest to me. And hey, just while I'm going, I hadn't even went down the list, haven't gone down the list in those services. Boyfriend ranks way down here under secret. Hey, men. Just between us, ladies don't listen. We're letting them buy with it down in this category. It's our fault. We got to lower the girlfriend standard way. Just put them above pet dog from now on if you're not married. <laughs> Fight for your marriage. Right? We make a big deal out of this one day a year. And this one day a year is a great day. But we almost all can get it right on the one day a year. What's causing trouble in our marriages are the 364 other days of the year. Like we're good on love's day, Valentine's day. We're not so good at love's daily discipline. And the trouble is, the problem is, it's getting even worse in America and around the world where we're looking at the studies of industrialized nations and the stats tell us that during the pandemic, things have gotten worse. For example, one in five married Americans surveyed in July reported fighting more during the pandemic than before the pandemic. Not only that, I love honest people, 30% said they were more annoyed with their partner. I love it. You ever been more annoyed with your spouse? I, lo I love that. Don't raise your hand. Again, intelligence test. Uh, uh, almost 10% said they're likely to separate, partly because of the pandemic. And then German study found that 40% of couples in their sample experienced negative changes in relationship satisfaction. That is, 40% of the couples said their relationship satisfaction has gone the wrong direction. Marriage is in America in trouble, and they're only getting worse. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, my heart breaks right here because I know that marriages are going to go through ups and downs, right? I know that marriages are going to have some hard times. We know when typically marriages have hard times. They have them at major life change. We know that when you have kids, when you first get married, it's, it's hard sometimes to get accustomed to one another. We know that when you first have kids, that the sleepless night, and the constant anxiety can cause tension in your marriage. We know that when you hit the empty nest period, that a lot of times you've, you've grown apart during those years raising the kids and the empty nest is a hard time. We get that when you're having financial issues, that that weighs on your marriage. And I want to tell you, that happens for all of us. Marriage
marriage has ups and downs. It has some hard times. Marriages all need adjustment. And I'm a firm believer in counseling for your marriage to try to get back on the straight and narrow. But here's what concerns me so much more. So many couples are just trying to get to the place where they tolerate each other. Tolerate. And you've given up on having the marriage of your dreams. Some of you are here today and you would never contemplate divorce. You, you would never. You, you would stay married. You, you'd contemplate murder before you contemplated divorce. Like you're that committed to your marriage. But you're okay existing in a lifeless, dull, boring, passionate, less and loveless marriage. You're not going to get divorced, but you've just settled to the fact you're going to live in a marriage with no passion with no love, with no life, that's dull and boring. And God didn't call us to be that way in marriage. God called it to be better than that. And you're listening to me preach today, and you're thinking, well, preacher, you, you, I, mean, I mean, our marriage is such a mess. I get it, I get it, I get it. But let, let me tell you something, a statement I wrote down. I don't put a lot of my original statements on the board, but let me tell you a statement I, I want you to see this morning, that a good marriage is not normally about making a major change. It can be, hear me, it can be. But it's normally about making minor, consistent, constant adjustments over time. Minor, consistent, constant adjustments over time. Now, you may have a major change you need to change, and I encourage you to do it. You ought to do it. Whatever it is, if it's major, change it. But that's not most marriages. Most marriages deteriorate because we're not making those minor, consistent, constant adjustments to our marriage over time. Just like you go through stages of life in your own personal life, your, your marriage will go through that as well. And if you don't make the adjustments in your marriage, you'll wind up with a boring, lifeless, dull, no passion, no love kind of marriage. Well, let's fight for our marriage today. And let me look in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, stand with me if you don't mind as we honor God's word by reading it. But as you stand there, let me tell you something about Ephesians chapter 4. This is not a verse that speaks directly to marriage. It speaks on relationships in general and i'm going to turn that in just a moment so just hang with me look in ephesians chapter 4 look at verse number 1 therefore i the prisoner in the lord paul urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace thank you you may be seated Here's what I want to do. A lot of times we see these passages in the Bible and they have to do with interpersonal relationships, right? It's relationships in general. It's relationships in the church. And we'll apply it to church members. Paul's speaking directly to the church here. And we apply it to church members, but we fail to apply it in our own homes, our own marriages, our own families. And so everything that can apply to us in a church relationship can also be applied in our home and marriage relationship. So that's what I want to do today. I want to take a passage that Paul meant for the church, but would have preached it for the marriage as well. Had Paul been doing a marriage conference, he could have easily grabbed these three verses and applied them directly to our marriages. So I want to do that today. I want to make three quick points. I won't be long. Three quick points about marriage that'll be a minor adjustment uh, for our marriage today. Let me say three things about your marriage. Number one is this, your marriage sends a message. Paul said this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. 
Worthy of the calling you've ever received. Now, you have to just understand the book of Ephesians just a little bit. All right, follow me. The book of Ephesians has six chapters. Chapters one through three are dealing with the theology of the Christian life. He is describing the mighty salvation that has been birthed in your heart and life. And in chapters one through three are the theology of the new life in Christ. However, chapter four, verse one is a hinge on which the whole book turns. And beginning chapter four, four, we take the theology of the Christian life and we lay it down into the practicality of day-to-day living. And here's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.1 that you have been called to be Christ representative here on earth, that you have been called to be his ambassador. You have been called to walk worthy of the calling that he's already talked about in the first three chapters that you have received. That here's what Paul is trying to tell us, that people around us, unbelievers, those who are watching us, new Christians, they are watching your life. And if they're watching your life, Paul said, you need to walk worthy of the calling you have received. And he's asking, can they see Christ in everything we do? Can they see Christ in the way you talk? Can they see Christ in the way you act? Can they see Christ in the way you work? Can they see Christ in all your relationships? And this word to walk worthy here is a comprehensive expression that encompasses every aspect of life. The word in the Greek there says it it is an umbrella over everything in life. So when he says to walk worthy, it is every part of your life. And get this, Paul would have meant it this way because of some verses you're going to see in just a moment. Uh, Paul was trying to say, your life sends a message. But just as importantly, Paul's going to let us know in just a moment that your marriage sends a message. Now, how is he going to let us know that? Well, we're not going to turn there and read. But if you read just a few more verses on, don't do it now. But if you read a few more verses on, Paul's going to tell us that your marriage is actually an earthly example of a heavenly relationship. Do you hear that? An earthly example of heaven. What do you mean? Well, he says this, that your marriage is an example of the relationship between Christ and the church. Christ and the church. And you may not know this if you've not been saved a long time, but in the Bible, New Testament, Christ is called the groom and the church is called the bride. As a matter of fact, at the end of the book of the Revelation, there is the marriage supper of the Lamb where the groom will finally be made one with the bride there at that marriage supper and will live together for all of eternity, which is, by the way, where we get some of our languaging when we do a marriage sermon, till death do us part. We're going to live with uh, Christ for all of eternity and death won't part us. And so we incorporate those kinds of things into a marriage ceremony. And so Paul is telling us that in just a moment. In just a few verses, Paul is trying to say, hey, the, 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 the earth, and he goes into some major marriage examples here uh, 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 in a moment, but he stops in the middle of it and he says, hey, I'm talking about The Christ church relationship. Your marriage is a message about the Christ church relationship. Your marriage is sending a message to a lost and dying world. Wait a minute. What kind of message is my marriage sending? This kind of message. Does Christianity really work? Your marriage sends a message. Is it worth it to become a Christian? Now, now, hang on. 
If you're not a Christian, you, you remember before you were saved and you were on the outside and you were looking in and when you looked in, all you could see was a bunch of stodgy people who did everything right. That's what you thought. You didn't get in, you know that's not true, but you know, did everything right, never made mistakes. And, and you thought Christianity was about a bunch of rules and regulations that you couldn't keep. Now that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is, is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with rules and regulations. But get this, when you're outside looking in, you don't know that and you're asking yourself this question before you become a Christian. Remember that day? You're asking the question, is it worth it to become a Christian? Your marriage answers that question. Does Jesus make a difference in your life when you have a relationship with him? Your marriage answers that question. Does Jesus have the answer to life's problems, things, problems like marriage, problems like family? Your marriage answers that question. Whether you believe it or not, it is an absolute fact that your marriage is broadcasting a message loud and clear. It is, either, it is broadcasting Christianity works or it doesn't work. Jesus has the answers or he doesn't have the answers. It is worth it to know Christ or it's not worth it to know Christ. Either way, your marriage is sending a message. And as I'd say it this way. You are an influencer. You know what an influencer is, right? We're familiar enough with it on our social media. We see influencers. We see that tag all the time. I'm always chuckled when somebody is on the news and they are described as an influencer, which in my mind means you have no job. But they're influencers. But I'm wrong because you dig into what an influencer makes and an influencer puts up one post on Facebook and they make $25 per thousand followers, 10 on Instagram and Snapchat, 20 on YouTube, but get this, they, they break them down into categories, nano, micro, mid-tier, macro, mega, celebrities. Look, nano, up 10,000 followers, $100. Micro, 50,000 followers, $500 a post. You go all the way down to celebrities who are oftentimes getting a million dollars a post. For, so for a celebrity, sometimes when you, know, you see them take a picture of their shoes or whatever, like Nikes, I love these shoes. They don't love those shoes. They love the million dollars they're getting for telling you they love those shoes. Because they're influencers. Why do companies use these influencers? One, one reason. They want thousands of people to see a message. And your marriage has been designed by God to do the exact, you are an influencer. Your marriage sends a message to a lost and dying world. The question, only question is, is what kind of messages are you sending? And I know what you think. You think, well, hey, my, my marriage is a closed door affair between me and my spouse and it's nobody's business. I'm just telling you, that's not true. God thinks differently than that. God thinks differently. God has designed it so that you influence the world with the gospel through your marriage. That you bring others to Christ through your marriage. That you encourage the body of believers through your marriage. That you set an example through your marriage. That you display the power of Christ through your marriage. Your marriage, listen to me, it sends a message to your kids. It sends a message to your coworkers. It sends a message to your friend, to your church members, to people that you don't even know who are watching your life. The only question is, what's the message your marriage is sending? What's it saying to the others that are around you? What is the example you're sending? I know you're a hey, preacher, it's my business. I'm just telling you, God has designed marriage to put on display the power of Christ and the grace of Jesus, not to fit into the standards of the rest of the world. 
And so your marriage is sending a message. Is Christianity a failure or does it work? And the reason you need to know that is when we understand that all of heaven is watching how we operate within our marriage relationships, it might just change how we talk to each other. It might just change how we serve one another. It might just change how we love one another. It might just change how we sacrifice for one another. Some of you are struggling with getting a family member to come to church, getting your grown kids to come to church, maybe getting your, your, your friends, your coworkers to come to church. And the problem is not the church, and the problem is not how you invite them. The problem is they're watching the message your marriage is sending. Because there's no greater stress than marriage stress. Can I get an amen right there? I wouldn't know. I've heard it from y'all, but I, I wouldn't know. And people who are far from God who are having all those marriage troubles in their life, they're looking for an answer and their radar's up. And your marriage is sending a message. And Paul said, what worthy? Let your marriage be worthy of the calling God's called you to. Number two, you want to make a minor adjustment in your marriage. Number two, develop the attitude of latitude out of verse number two. The attitude of latitude. Look, look, look at the words you use. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's one of those subtle shifts, again, we find here. Look at some of the words. The word humility there means to esteem yourself small, to have lowliness of mind. The word gentleness there is such a great word that I actually wanted to actually read you the definition. It's a little longer, and I didn't put it on the screen. I should have. But listen to the definition of the word gentleness. It is a condition of mind and heart which demonstrates gentleness, not in weakness, but in power. It's a balance born in strength of character. So get this. It is the spirit of one who is so absorbed in seeking some worthy goal for the common good that he refuses to be deflected from it by slots, inquiries, or insults directed at himself personally or indeed by personal considerations of any kind. So I know I, I should have put it on the board and I didn't. Here's what he's saying. That the word gentleness there means that you seek the common good, your marriage, over your own good. And even when slotted, even when insulted, even when done wrong, you still put the marriage in the first place. Then he uses the word patience. We're familiar with that. It means long-suffering or to suffer long. He uses the word bearing with one another in love. Hey, listen to this definition. One of the definitions was to put up with faults and idiosyncrasies of others, knowing that you have your own faults and idiosyncrasies. So one commentator said you could say all four of them like this. Humility says I may be wrong. Gentleness says I'm willing to listen and change. Patience says I'll give you time for us to work through this. And bearing with says I'll stick with you even when we disagree. That is the exact attitude of latitude that is desperately needed in our marriage. An attitude that says, I could be the one wrong. I'm willing to change. I'm going to stick with you and keep going forward even when you've done something wrong, even when we don't agree. And here's the truth. Can we just be honest? Just us. We have so much more latitude with other people than we do our own husband and wife. We'll let people at work make mistakes and we don't get bent out of shape. Let our spouse do it and we go crazy. 
We, we let companies make mistakes and we forgive them, let our spouse do it, and we go crazy. I'll, I'll prove it to you. How many times have you ever gone through the drive-thru, got halfway home, and realized you got somebody else's order? How many times have you gone through the drive-thru, especially in a pandemic, got home and opened up the bag and realized your waffle fries were not in the bag? That frustrates you, does it? How many times, I don't know if it's my southern accent, I, I had a hard time, I was in, uh, I trained in pastors in, in Atlanta this Thursday, uh, took a day and was over there about 12, 13 hours training pastors all day, and I kept having to spell words because they couldn't understand my, but my, I think I talk very plainly, especially if you're from northwest Georgia, I may, everything I say makes total sense, right? But for some reason, I'll go through the drive through and order a Diet Coke, and I cannot tell you how many times I get a Dr. Pepper instead of a Diet Coke, and those don't sound similar to me. And I'll be honest, if you don't get your fries and a Diet Coke, you, you want to go burn the place down, right? Like, you're done with it. Like, I, I mean, the line was four hours long anyway, and now I don't even know how to get back in. Like, did you know that for an average fast food chain, it costs them $95,000 a year in drive through mistakes? But since I'm your resident expert on things that don't matter. Let me tell you the five chains that are most likely to get your order right. All right, number five, it's according to research, Dunkin' Donuts. I think they're just called Dunkin' now. They get your coffee and donut right. They don't have a lot to mess up, but they get it right. Number four is Burger King. Number three is Arby's. I'm fine with all that. I have a problem with number two. Now, nothing personal. I love number two. I love it. I love, I love everything about it. But I can't tell you how many times I've ordered a Big Mac and got a flail fish instead. Like, I, I don't get it. But McDonald's was number two. So apparently they've upped their game. Like, McDonald's gotten much better at it. If you own a McDonald's franchise, we love you. I like Big Macs. All right. Now, McDonald's number two. Guess who's number one? Y'all know. Y'all know. God's chicken. God's chicken gets it right. God is in charge of the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. Now, I'll be honest with you. Even every now and then, Chick-fil-A gets it wrong. Like, like there are times Chick-fil-A doesn't do it right. Michaela's sitting right over here. and Michaela, you know, she likes her Chick-fil-A in an exact certain way. And there has to be some very specific sauces that come home in the bag. And I, I remember Michaela's 13, 14 years ago, we came home with Chick-fil-A and it didn't have the sauce in the bag. And it so infuriated Michaela that she threw her bag in the garbage. And in 14 years, she has never, kid you not, been back to Chick-fil-A. Yeah, that's not true. Chick-fil-A get it wrong, and we go right back to Chick-fil-A the next meal. Because God's frying the chicken in the back, man. It is the best chicken there ever was. And we, we go right back to Chick-fil-A. Like we, nobody's swearing off Chick-fil-A because you didn't get your waffle fries. You just order two next time you go through. And if you tell them, they give you free stuff all the time. I mean, like, you just tell them the coupons come out the window, and, like, we go back. You know what the sad part of that is? You give McDonald's and Chick-fil-A more chances than you give your husband or wife. We'll let them make mistakes and we're still in love. Your husband and wife do something so much smaller. And we have no latitude and grace and gentleness and patience, love for them at all. And Paul said, you, you want your marriage to be better? Here's a minor adjustment. Bring humility to your marriage. You know, you could be wrong. Make the marriage more important than your rights 
and your way and what you deserve. Be patient with your spouse. And for goodness sakes, learn to put up with their junk. You say, how'd you know my husband has junk? I wasn't, I was talking about you. <laughs> we all got junk, right? We all got weird stuff we do. We all, we all got stuff. Our mamas messed us up when we were kids and our daddies added to, I mean, we all, no, everybody's from a dysfunctional family. We all got, except my kids, we all got junk. We all got junk. And instead of bearing with one another in love, we correct them all the time, we get annoyed all the time, we have to be right all the time. Our rights become more important than their rights. And here's what Paul's trying to say. Hey, this is every relationship in life, but so much for marriage. Back off and make your marriage more important than you getting your way and have an attitude of latitude in your life. Number three, I'm finished. Paul said to unite in the fight. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That word, make every effort in the Greek, is such a funny word, especially when you apply it to marriage. It, it, it involves some good old-fashioned hard work. Paul said you're going to have to put your back into it. You're going to have to work really hard. Barth, in his definition on this commentary on this, says this, that it, it, it's hard to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb there, make every effort. It means not only haste and passion, but it involves putting the full effort of the man, of the person into it, your will, your reason, get this, your physical strength and your total attitude. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, it's going to take everything you've got to do what, Paul? Have unity and peace. Paul said, we're going to have to, let's apply it to marriage, take every bit of the effort I can muster to have unity and peace, being unified as a couple, having peace after, as a couple, you say, is it supposed to be? Of course it is. Remember when you got married, the Bible says that the two are no longer two, but one, one. Unity should be the norm. Peace should be the byproduct. And so here's what Paul is saying. Unite in the fight for peace. Unite in the fight for unity. That is a husband and a wife fighting together to have a good marriage. When the two of you do that, love is the natural result. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. Sometimes I use these sermon illustrations in the news, and I hope you're not related to any of these people. And if, if you are, always extend your apologies to your relatives. But some things are just too easy to use. Like, like this guy, I read this weeks ago, and I saved it for this sermon. A Kansas man asked an Iowa, Iowa court, follow me now, to grant his motion for a trial by combat in his divorce proceedings with his ex-wife. David Ostrom, 40 years old, asked the judge to let him fashion, give him 12 weeks so he could fashion or procure a Japanese sword for him and her and them fight to the death and that would settle their breakup. He actually filed court papers for it. His reasoning was the courts had allowed it not too long ago. As early as, as 1818, the British court said a trial by combat was okay. And so Ostrom David was just stressed out about his ex-wife's attorney 
and her and the way they've been treating him. And so he said to the, in the court papers he filed, he said his ex-wife, uh, she can have a, Bridget was her name, Bridget can have a champion stand in for her. And he preferred it to be her attorney. <laughs> Trial by combat. And I read the story and I said, that's too easy because that's, we have more of that going on than we have actual love and marriage going on. It's a, it's a snapshot, a lot of it. See, most of us aren't uniting in the fight. We're fighting in the marriage instead of fighting for the marriage. You're supposed to fight for the marriage, not in the marriage. The devil's going to attack your marriage. The world's going to attack your marriage. Your flesh is going to attack your marriage. Fight for your marriage, not in it. And when the two of you come together and decide, we're not going to fight each other. We're going to fight for the marriage and make this thing work. And we're going to put every effort. We're going to put all we've got into this marriage. It will work. Fight for it. You've got to want to be in love more than you want to be right. You've got to love peace more than you love getting your way. You've got to love harmony, listen, more than you even love your personal happiness. The happiness will come. It'll come after. Your marriage is sending a message the whole world is watching. People you know that are lost and on their way to hell are listening to the, marriage, the message you're sending about Jesus through your marriage. You've got to develop that attitude of latitude and look, you've you got to fight for it. Quit fighting in it. Fight for it. Change your life. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>